Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I hope you guys are having a wonderful holiday season. I know it's been a tough year for many of us because of this pandemic, but I'm so hopeful that now there is a vaccine. My husband got vaccinated a couple of weeks ago, and I hope we'll get all to get vaccinated soon so we can resume our normal life. So I thought for next few weeks, it would be great if we could focus on all things related to orgasm. Next few episodes, we're going to talk about how you can experience it, how can you experience extended orgasm, and we're going to talk about some of the specific challenges that people of all genders are experiencing when it comes to orgasm. But before I tell you more about our episode this week, I wanted to share with you that a few months ago, I created a checklist of 25 ways that you can increase your sexual desire. It's specifically designed for women. And many of the things that you can do is relatively easy. The list is completely free. It's my gift to you. You can download it. The link will be in the show notes. Today is Dr. Akad Bakta. We're going to focus on what are some of the specific reasons that some women are experiencing challenges around orgasm. She specifically will tell us about the strategies that you can implement to address it. She's also a gynecologist, which is wonderful because she's well versed on techniques and medical procedures that can help you address this issue if that is something that's physiologically based. Dr. Bakta is a board certified OBGYN who provides exceptional care to women of all ages. Uniquely experienced in treating female sexual dysfunction, she cares for patients with painful intercourse, low libido, and difficulty with orgasm. Striving to perfect female beauty and function inside and out, Dr. Bakta utilized the newest medications, cutting-edge technology, and innovative surgical techniques. Dr. Bakta is a graduate of University of California, Los Angeles, receiving Bachelor of Science degree with honors in biology. She received her Doctor of Medicine from University of Southern California, Keck School of Medicine. Upon graduation, she was honored by Alpha Omega Alpha Medical Honor Society for her dedication to the medicine and her pursuit of healing knowledge. She then completed a residency training in Kaiser Permanente Los Angeles Medical Center. She received tons of different accolades, and this is a small part of her bio but I encourage you to check out her full bio and also link to her website in our show notes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Kat Bakta. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Kat Bakta on our show. Dr. Kat, welcome to our show. 
Hi, thank you for having me. I am very excited to have you doing this interview with us and having this conversation with us. You know, one of the common complaints I get from women of almost all ages are issues around the libido. So tell us, why do you think some women lose their sexual drive? So there are multiple causes, actually. The sexual desire has three components. One is the drive. It's more of a biological component that's affected by our hormones, neurotransmitters. The other one is uh, our belief and value system, you know, how we were brought up, what our attitudes towards sex. And the third one is also very important one is motivation. And that kind of depends on what your interpersonal relationships are and how much do you actually want to have sex with the person. Because let's face it, you may like someone and you may feel horny, but if they don't do the dishes as you ask, you're probably not going to be very motivated to have sex with them. And so throughout the life cycle of a woman, the sex drive will change because there's different things that happen in her life, right? Hormonal changes, uh, life changes, pregnancy, menopause, stress at work, change in relationship status, and all of that can influence their sexual desire and sexual drive. The big one, I think, is the... Hormones, obviously, women will notice a huge change between their late teens and 20s to their 30s, which most think that this is kind of prime years for women when they become more sexually open and more comfortable with themselves. They've had more experience and therefore their desire will increase. And then in their 40s, uh, some will have an increase and decrease and towards the menopause and perimenopause a lot of women will notice that they're changing their attitude towards sex, their desire drops, their arousal decreases significantly. They start having difficulty with orgasm. So that one is huge. And again, you know, hormones change throughout your uh, life cycle. And so that is a big part of it. The second big part is interpersonal relationships. If you do not have a good, comfortable relationship with your partner, It's very, very hard to maintain good sex life. Intimacy is, and sexual drive for women is very different than for men. You know, we need courtship, we need affection. Sometimes our sexual response starts in the morning when we get a sexy text and then kind of compiles onto something more passionate in the evening when we will enter a sexual relationship. So, your partner is not receptive if you're, you and your partner are not communicating well, if you know there are some issues with infidelity, stresses at work, kids, that will significantly affect your desire and your libido. Another one is obviously medical conditions. Uh, when women go through changes in their health status, that can significantly influence their not just mental state, mental state but also their sex drive particularly things like hypertension, kidney disease, diabetes. The big one is depression and anxiety. And we can talk a little more in detail about that. And other things that can really influence the sex drive and pretty easily to fix sometimes are medications that people take. The big one is birth control pill, right? So many women are on birth control pill because they're afraid to have sex without, without it And that can influence their sex drive, but also taking extra hormones that suppress your ovulatory cycle and change your hormones in your body can affect your sex drive. 
obviously things like pregnancy. When you're pregnant, your sex drive changes. When you're postpartum, that also brings significant changes, right? Your body changes, hormones are up and down, you're emotionally a mess. Also, now you have a newborn screaming, you're sleep deprived, so that can affect a couple's intimacy as well. And the last one that I want to mention, well, two, two other things I want to mention is cultural beliefs, right? Your attitude towards sex may change. In some families, and especially in religious families, there are negative attitudes towards sex, and that can influence how you perceive having sex. You may feel guilty for doing it, like if you're not married and your family tells you that you need to be, and that guilt can override your sexual drive. And also our body image. Women need to feel good about themselves. If you know you gain a few pounds, especially if you just had a baby or you're starting menopause and your metabolism changes, and you look at yourself in the mirror and you just don't feel pretty, and uh, if your partner does not kind of uplift you and make you feel beautiful, that can significantly impact your intimacy. That's in a nutshell. <laughs> but I appreciate your holistic approach because some people only think when when they're specializing in their area that like for some physicians only think, think mostly about physiological factors and some psychologists and sex therapists, they think about mostly only psychological factors. I like that you really mentioned all aspects of one's well-being and its impact on our sex drive. And I, I'm, I think it was very interesting you talked about the motivation and how foreplay starts outside the bedroom and all the interaction that you're having with your partner and the context plays a huge role. And I feel like when, when people think about low libido, they just sometimes people are looking for a quick fix. And they say, you know, like maybe it's my hormone and if I only can get this shot and it can change it, then that would be wonderful. Which again, sometimes, as you mentioned, there's perhaps there's a medical reason behind things, but it's usually my experience that there is a combination of few things going on. And I love that you talked about postpartum challenges. And that's that's the time they find that many, many of the couples that I work with, their sex life got derailed, that like after they had a child and they grew apart and then now their child is a toddler or they're like school age they're trying to kind of repair that rupture what are some of the hormonal changes that can happen throughout that process that can impact our libido during kind of pregnancy and postpartum right so the hormonal changes are really the significant hormonal changes are in the first about six to eight weeks postpartum right women's progesterone's off They were at high levels of estrogen now it's dropping. And really, some women will feel almost menopausal postpartum. They have hot flashes. They have vaginal dryness. And obviously, all of that in the newborn affects their sleep cycle. So they're always exhausted and they just don't have the energy. And now that, you know, that oxytocin that you keep releasing with your newborn while you're breastfeeding, it creates that bond that is... You basically are replacing the love and affection that you had with your partner with a newborn. And that's great for newborn survival, but then that kind of puts your partner on a back burner for a while. And of course, you know, the first couple of months, women even cannot have sex because, you know, they're still bleeding. There may have been trauma with childbirth. But then later on, as the hormones normalize and child gets on the schedule and you kind of get a hang of breastfeeding, 
this is the crucial time to start reconnecting with your partner because as they say, if you don't use it, you lose it. And it's true for everything. It's true for our physiology and it's true for our relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I like that you're talking about that it's normal for, for our body to change. And it's going to be a period of kind of adjustment. And sometimes I tell people that kind of outer course can be very healthy. It doesn't mean like if intercourse is painful, then you can explore other ways of connecting with your partner sexually that doesn't require kind of having an intercourse, just a matter of at times connecting. So, you know, one thing that I often here and I bet you see that a lot that like everyone is selling something to improve our libido like you know whether it's a medication it's a supplement and I know many of my clients are asking me about how can I naturally improve my libido is there any kind of a result showing that there's a natural way to balance our hormones I mean, we can talk about the hormones particularly later but there are a couple of natural supplements that have been studied a bit, especially outside the United States. U.S. has been very slow to come up on the how do we make sex great again wagon. But I'm a big fan of an herb called horny goat weed. Oh. It's not joking that that morning. You can buy it at Sprouts, Whole Foods, very readily available. You can take up to three capsules a day. Or you can take it maybe an hour or two prior to intercourse. Mm. There's, you know, a lot of sex stores in Los Angeles, pretty open city. And if you go and you look at these supplements that they sell, very expensive, like $20, $25 a pill. And you look at the back, horny goat weed is almost always found as one of the ingredients in in these medications. And you can buy it pretty cheaply as a whole bottle at a store. So I really like that. It's funny the way it was discovered as, and the reason why they got the name, they noticed that the the goats that were feeding on this weed were exhibiting increased sexual behavior towards, you know, other goats. And so they thought, well, maybe we can try this on humans. And they've done actually a couple of studies and uh, women did increase in sexual drive. Other things are tribulus terrestrialis, uh, maca root. There's uh, tongat ali, which is tree from jungles in Malaysia. There's a couple of plants like muripuama that comes out of Amazon in Brazil, I believe. So those things can improve. It's not a magic pill. Really, we don't have a magic pill. I'm not aware of one. But these are natural supplements that are safe to take. And uh, you can try taking them as needed prior to intercourse and see if it will boost your libido for that occurrence. Mm -hmm. Or you can take that as a supplement daily. Mm-hmm. Other things that I recommend to my patients, especially perimenopausal and menopausal patients, obviously, you know, taking them their calcium, vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Vitamin D complex is very, very important because not only, you know, helps your bones and uh, such, but it actually reduces slightly the risk and also symptoms of depression. So mm-hmm. high doses of vitamin D complex are very useful. Ginkgo biloba and ginseng also will get you some energy and improve sex. So remember, if we're not healthy, especially if we're aging, we are not going to have a good sex life. So we need to address the whole body. We need to address sleep cycle, diet, exercise is incredibly important. And so that would be another natural thing that women can do to improve their sex drive. Well, I didn't know about some of these supplements. Now I feel like I'm so motivated to take my vitamins. (laughs) Well, 
tell us a little bit about our hormones. Like, what are the role of hormones in our sexual desire? So hormones are huge. So there's two things that really uh, drive our sexual desire, the neurotransmitters and the hormones. So the neurotransmitters, there's two kinds, right? The excitatory and the inhibitory. So when we get to a balance where the excitatory neurotransmitters get higher in our bloodstream and in our brain milieu, um, then we'll get excited, we get sexual. And, and those are some of the most common ones are um, melanocortin, oxytocin, uh, dopamine, norepinephrine. On the other flip side, you have prolactin and some serotonin that will be inhibitory. And so, as you can see, prolactin is what is going to be high when women are breastfeeding, sometimes towards the end of pregnancy, so obviously will suppress your uh, sex drive. As far as hormones, the testosterone and the estrogen are big. Testosterone is not a huge, is, is not really popular in the United States uh, currently with FDA and the ABOG, the American College of OBGYNs. They're still really skeptical of its use. The studies that they've done when they measure the levels of testosterone, they use the regular range, right? So from very low to, to low normal to normal high. And so they've never really been able to show significant numbers of women that would actually have low testosterone or low libido. But if you look at the range and you look at where women feel good, it's usually the upper level of normal of the testosterone. And they start seeing decrease in their function with the low levels, low normal levels. And estrogen obviously is for women our biggest hormone. It affects blood flow to the tissues, it affects the neuronal tissue, it affects our lubrication, how our sexual response and arousal occurs in perimenopause and menopausal women when the estrogen starts dropping, you get vaginal atrophy and dryness. The tissue becomes very thin. Women start having painful intercourse. Also, they're not able to get that tumescence when you know tissues kind of swell up and get a lot of blood flow. That increases their stimulus and also sensation. And so as the hormones drop, and you get the neurotransmitter imbalance due to different situations in life, medications or stress and whatnot, all of that starts suppressing our sex drive. Well, I'm interested to kind of also hear more about the testosterone piece. You know, it's, I, I had clients that they kind of soar by kind of like they read books about testosterone. They took kind of supplements for increasing their testosterone. But it sounded, as you said, like it's found that the, the studies, it seems like it's conflicting. I haven't seen that kind of consistently seeing that when people are taking women, taking testosterone, that helps them with their libido. Is that something that they can take for like improving libido? Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in testosterone. Obviously, in the United States, we're still using it off-label, but there's two ways that we can deliver testosterone. One is uh, transdermal with, with like um, a gel with, that women can put on their skin every day. And the other one, which is obviously much more convenient and easier, are the pellets. There are little capsules, pellets that are inserted underneath the skin in the, in the like in the hip area, mm-hmm. and that uh, secretes a low dose but continuous and stable dose of testosterone. And we monitor it with the labs, obviously, but women see significant improvement. And it's not just the libido; their energy level goes up, their stress level goes down. They notice changes in how their hair grows, how they sleep, how they lose weight if they've been struggling because metabolism improves. 
obviously not, it's not without potential risks. You can have male pattern baldness if we are giving too much. You can start having unwanted hair growth. In severe cases, if women is getting too much testosterone, they can start noticing changes in their voice and uh, increase in size of the clitoris. But if we, if they're under observation of a doctor and they get their labs regularly and we keep them at the high normal range, that women really, really benefit from testosterone. Well, interestingly, when you talked about changes increasing the size of clitoris, I, I think I, I can imagine that could be a positive thing because you get more sensation. How is that a negative thing? To a certain point, right? So if women have a small clitoris, then increasing slightly in size is great. Mm-hmm. But if it goes too much, they can basically grow a micropenis. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely not helpful. <laughs> The clitoris is a homologous structure to a penis. So what a glance on a penis would be, or the head of the penis, it's the same thing as the clitoris. And so it does respond to testosterone, the tissues there, to respond. And so you just don't want to make it too big. Mm-hmm. And also when it's a little, and it's, it's significantly large for that particular patient, exercise like underwear could be rubbing and giving you stimulation where you may not want it you know riding a bike sitting sometimes may become uncomfortable Mm -hmm. well i i agree with you i think the most important thing is like working with a physician that's competent and uh, informed about this issues are important because i feel like these day and age everyone is kind of like have a clinic and they have like number of different kind of like procedures they're doing so it's important to kind of work with someone that's specializing in sexual medicine and they're aware of this option. So what are some of other medical interventions that will help women with their libido? Well, so there's a, a couple of things that we have at our disposal. Obviously, if you're perimenopausal or menopausal, adjusting your hormonal milieu can be very helpful. So um, hormonal replacement therapy with uh, testosterone and estrogen and progesterone Especially if you still have your uterus, you'd have to have progesterone, checking your thyroid, making sure you you know you don't have diabetes, changing the medications. So some SSRIs, you know, there's a lot of women with mild to moderate depression that are on SSRIs. And sometimes we can't take them off of it, right? Because we want them to be functional, but adding Wolbutrin to an SSRI can help reduce the decrease in sexual dysfunction from the antidepressant medications. If women are not on antidepressant medication, we can actually try using Wellbutrin to improve sex drive on its own. Other things uh, I find very important, and this is where you come really handy, is counseling. It's Patients get really resistant to talking to someone and actually processing what is really the root cause. We can rule out a lot of medical things. We can rule out anatomical things in the office, but there's no magic pill. You need to work on your perceptions and your expectations, right? Because everyone is going to experience it differently. So that's another one. There's uh, a couple of, uh, and so as far as the hormonal replacement therapy, you know, you can do oral, transdermal, but we also have pellets for the estrogen as well. Works great. Women, once women start pellets, they love it. Um, they never want to go off of it. And then there's uh, two new medications, well, semi-new. So we have Addy, which was 
advertised as the pink Viagra. It's a daily medication. It's centrally acting, so it does not affect your hormones. It actually works on your brain. Women take it every day, and it showed improvement. Different studies showed different improvements, so 25 40%, somewhere like that. But also, you know, a little bit of placebo effect, obviously. And um, they've initially released this medication with a lot of warnings. Some of these warnings fell off, so we find that this is a much safer medication now. And you can have a glass of wine if you want to occasionally with it. That works great. And then another one, actually very new, it came out last year. It's called Vilesi, and it's an injectable, and it's uh, used as needed. You inject in this really tiny needle. It comes in the pen, very easy to use. You use it about an hour or so, or at least 45 minutes prior to when you want to have a sexual encounter. And it lasts for 24 hours. And then you can use, you cannot use more than one injection in 24 hours, and you can use up to eight in a month. And uh, women absolutely love it because they don't have to take a pill every day. It's uh, relatively uh, affordable. They're, they have different programs that support the you know people buying that medication, and it's really easy to use. Fascinating. With the Abby, it's my experience it's not working as well as Viagra. I think like for me, my male clients, unless they have kind of like performance, physiologically-based performance challenges, when they take the Viagra, it, it helps them. Like it's most of people, most of the time it's successful. With Adi, as you said, my experience been kind of a mixed bag at least based on what I'm hearing with clients. But with the second medication, that's fascinating. I haven't heard about it. Is it comparable to kind of like the uh, injection that some men get for a it's also centrally acting. It's actually a bromelanotide. So it's it kind of one of those uh, neurotransmitters that I, well, similar to the neurotransmitter action that I've mentioned earlier. So it's very safe. Both Addy and Violesi are only prescribed to women that are pre-menopausal as of now, but it's it works in some women. Obviously, there's, with men, like you mentioned, men are easy. You give them Cialis or Viagra, and unless they have a severe condition, they will, it will work on them. For women, we require a lot more than just a pill, a lot more than just one that magic fix. A lot of it is up here, and we, we're busy. Everyone's busy, right? No one takes the time to set up the mood to plan for things. And so spontaneous desire in women that are over 40 in menopause, that, that's kind of hard to come by. And a lot of times women actually enter their sexual phase or sexual cycle, I guess, during their arousal stage. Their partners will initiate it, they will get aroused, and then they start having sex, and that's where the desire comes in. And it's normal. Again, setting up your expectations is very important. And I talk to my clients a lot about the responsive model of desire that you talked about, because I think like sometimes women are misinformed that unless I'm experiencing this kind of like high desire when my client, uh, my partner is reaching out, reaching out for me and want to have sex, then it, there's like, it's not going to happen. So I think part of it is education, part of it, education about different stages of life, different stages of relationship, and also taking some agency on around your sex life. Because I know sometimes my female client, they, the context needs to be right for them to have sex. And sometimes for my, again, very stereotypical kind of like a statement, but I know for my male clients, they're more visual. 
so it's easier for them to get aroused. But my female client, they need the right context. And I sometimes talk to people that you can be in charge of creating the context for you, whatever it is as far as when it comes to having the right mindset, so whether it's kind of having some ritual to help you prepare yourself for kind of sexual encounters. They're all important. And also, you know, sometimes people come to me kind of thinking about they have issues with experiencing orgasm, but sometimes the issue is they, they're not experiencing, they don't have desire and they're not doing enough foreplay. But sometimes there are some medical reasons that cause someone, cause someone to have orgasmic kind of challenges around orgasm. So what are some of these, those factors that cause women to have issues around orgasm? Issues with orgasm are really similar to, or the causes for issues with orgasm are really similar with the sexual desire issues. A lot of it, but also some anatomic things that start coming into play you know, drop in hormones, your sensitivity goes down, right? The tissue starts atrophying. You get a lot less neuronal endings. And so stimulation is not the same. So you require more stimulation. Also, obviously, if we're in our head and we can't relax and we're thinking about picking up the kids, you may not get there. You know, unrealistic expectations sometimes, you know, when you know, when you were younger, it may have taken you two minutes and you were able to just have vaginal intercourse and have an orgasm. And as you get older, your expectation is that you should be able to do that. But some women take a lot longer with, you know, with age and it's okay. Just as long as your partner and you take that time and you're not frustrated about it, it may not even be a problem. It just may be your norm. Also, things like diabetes and high blood pressure and some medications can increase or decrease your sensitivity to the area and some skin conditions as well. Oh, interesting. What kind of skin conditions? Like lichen, uh, lichen sclerosis can affect things, you know, obviously vulvar cancer, you know, things are more aggressive, but just even irritation and yeast infection. If a woman keeps having a chronic yeast infection, the tissue gets more friable and more, maybe sometimes too sensitive and it becomes painful for the stimulation to occur. And also, I said that in the beginning, but if you don't use it, you lose it. So mm. if you go for a year without having sex with your partner, and then you can't expect that you're going to have that amazing orgasm immediately when you do have sex, because stimulation needs to continue to occur to the tissue so that there's constant blood flow to the clitoris and evolve in the vagina. And so that's why it's very important that we educate patients they don't have a partner or if they don't have a relationship with their partner often enough to masturbate, you know, use stimulating oils to create the blood flow to the tissue mm -hmm. using clitoral stimulating tools, mm -hmm. like little vibrators. Those are very, very helpful. Well, one thing that came to my mind as you were talking about this is that if people are not partner and they're masturbating, is it important to kind of have used a to uh, toy that has an insertion part to it? Is that important? Or as long as you're experiencing kind of like arousal, that would be enough? Yeah. So for postmenopausal women, obviously, the penetrative sex can be an issue if nothing goes inside for a while. But stimulation in general, even just a finger, but mostly that arousal, increasing the blood flow to the area is much, much more important, I think, than penetration. And uh, you can just use a clitoral stimulating tool instead of vibrator. But some women prefer both, and there are vibrators that will stimulate both. It's just whatever rocks your boat. 
Well, and I think uh, it's sometimes when it's uncomfortable to have kind of like inserting kind of like any kind of toys because of the pain, then you might be less motivated to masturbate. But I I hear that, like you say, like vibrator can be great too. And it's just as long as you're experiencing some stimulation, that can be also helping you to kind of like have the blood flow. So I think that if you are experiencing pain uh, at the time of insertion of a regular size vibrator, then you probably should address that with your physician. Simple vaginal estrogen in menopausal women can help a lot. We have DHEA suppositories now, which a little less hormone, special lubricants that we can recommend that kind of rejuvenate the inside the vagina. It's important to maintain vaginal health because you still need to have your screenings, right, for, you know, cervical cancer screening and so forth, even if you think that you will never, ever, ever have sex again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still, I think, important to maintain that, that health because if you have pain, that means something is wrong. Most likely, it's probably atrophy. That's mm-hmm. the common reason in postmenopausal women. That means that you are putting your vagina at risk for vaginal infections, right? Postmenopausal bleeding because, you know, microtears can happen and we don't want to deal with that when it gets worse. So the sooner you address it, the better. Well, tell us also what is the O-Shot. I know we talked about that. You mentioned that's one of the options. Yes. So the O-Shot is a new procedure that uh, was developed by Dr. Runnels. He's brilliant. And uh, what it does, it's the way that we do the procedure is we take patient's blood and we spin it in a centrifuge and it basically separates and gives us a little sample of really concentrated platelets and plasma products like growth factors. Mm. We inject that into the clitoris, into the anterior wall of the vagina. And the PRP or the platelet-rich plasma, it stimulates the tissue. It activates some pluripotent stem cells to start producing new collagen and also brings in fibroblasts to start laying down collagen, elastin. It increases blood vessel formation, improves uh, or increases nerve endings to the area. So basically rejuvenates your tissue to what it used to be and makes things healthier and more useful and increases sensitivity to the tissue of all of that. And so women have seen significant improvement in the way that they achieve orgasm, how quickly and how intense it is, but also the benefit of the O-shot, because we inject it in an anterior vagina, women also see improvement with incontinence. Interesting. Is that, so I've done something similar, and I can imagine that you you also kind of heard about this for kind of, kind of facial, for all sorts of like rejuvenation, people are using it, and it was incredibly painful. <laughs> Is that painful when people get the injection? So did you, are you referring to the PRP for the facial? No. That's yeah, so that's the needle. That's microneedling. And so, you know, there's multiple needles going into mm-hmm. a very sensitive space. What we do when we do the injection, women, uh, we ice it and we put mm-hmm. some cream and uh, most women tolerate it incredibly well without oh, good. any pain. Oh, that's definitely reassuring because I would imagine, okay, if that's that painful with your face, <laughs> I can only yeah. imagine the level of sensitivity in your genital, but it seems like it's not even comparable. But that that sounds like it's one of those, could be one of those great options. And is that something that people, like at what level people would kind of you recommend them to kind of sort that out? At any level, just mm-hmm. like I would recommend Botox to mm-hmm. any woman if they mm-hmm. want to use it preventatively. Obviously, if you don't have any issues and you complain Completely satisfied with your sex life and you know you're one of these lucky women 
and like 15, what is it, 15, 20% of lucky women who can achieve sex with just vaginal penetration with no issue. Yeah, so you probably don't need it. Don't waste your money. But if you feel that it takes you long or too long to achieve an orgasm and your partner always finishes before you and then you kind of left behind or uh, you just simply cannot achieve an orgasm with regular stimulation and you always require a, like a, a toy, mm-hmm. then I would recommend trying it. You're good, good. So it doesn't necessarily sound like a last resort option. Like as long as people are not happy with their sexual life and kind of like an orgasm and that can be one of the tools in the toolbox that they can explore. Just like a facial, right? You don't need a facial. You you know, your face will not fall off, but it makes you feel better and you look better. Same thing with the O-Shot. Mm-hmm. And because PRP is your own blood product, there's you know no no risk of bad reaction to the injection. Awesome! So and I always tell my clients and also my listeners that it's hard to find a physician that has a, a holistic approach. And I hear that you have this kind of like a very wonderful way of kind of like reading about research, but like thinking about other options out there. So if our listeners want to kind of get a hold of you. Please share with us some of the places that you can find you. So our office is located in West Hollywood, adjacent to Beverly Hills. It's on uh, 9201 Sunset Boulevard, Suite 805. And our phone number is 310-858-9100. They can call, drop by, make an... Well, we don't really do drop bys with COVID, unfortunately, but they can call and make an appointment and we would love to see them. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, guys, if you didn't get a chance to write the information, it will be on the show note. Dr. Kat, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I will leave a link to you other the rest of the information with the website of the practice and your social media on the show notes so people can find you. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Guys, I hope you found our conversation useful and relevant. And my invitation for you is that if you're someone that you haven't experienced orgasm in the past, please, please know that's something that's completely treatable. I personally help many women who struggled with experiencing orgasm, people who never experienced orgasm to cultivate a skill. And it's truly a skill. And it's important to, I guess, first step is doing an assessment. My invitation for you is perhaps finding a sex therapist that can help you to clarify, is this a physiological issues or it's a psychological issues or it's a combination of uh, both. So if that's something that you're interested in, I love working women in this phase, you're welcome to contact me to book a consultation appointment. You can find my information at sexologypodcast.com or you can shoot me an email at drmoali at oasis2care.com. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.